is Thanksgiving. I don't know if you've been paying attention, if that's sneaking up on you or not. But uh, Thursday's Thanksgiving. After that, the Christmas season starts. Uh, You know, this time of year is characterized by thankfulness and joy. It's all about the celebration. It's happy holidays, Merry Christmas. But what do you do when your holly isn't so jolly? What do you do when there's no twinkle in your tinsel? You know, for many of us, the holidays hold a sense of sadness and loss, even in the glow of the Christmas lights. So this Christmas season, our sermon series is going to be a little different. We're going to address sort of the sadder, darker side of the season. We're going to look at some of the hardness and heartache of the holidays. And the goal is not to drive you deeper into depression or to get you to just cheer up and paste a smile on your face. Uh, The truth is, sometimes in life, uh, it's hard to be happy. And uh, the goal of this series is to help you survive uh, the season. Uh, We're going to do a Christmas survival kit to learn how to make it through the holidays with your sanity intact. And in this uh, series, each week in the bulletin, we're going to include a little extra insert with some uh, tools, some helps for you on how to deal with some of the things that we face through the holiday season. And uh, this week, you've got a little handout called The Five Stages of Grief. And it talks about the stages that people move through when they've experienced a season of loss. And uh, so we hope that will uh, be helpful. Uh, You know, many of us will have an empty chair at the Thanksgiving table this year. Uh, Many of us will come into this season of bounty with a sense of loss. Now, grief isn't just associated with the death of a loved one. We actually face grief any time we have a loss in life. Uh, You can lose your finances, you can lose your job, your health, your marriage, uh, whatever. And in those seasons of tragedy, in those seasons of grief, uh, how do we survive that? Uh, Now, you may not be in a season of loss right now, but I need to tell you, your time is coming. And so this sermon may be preventative for you. It may prepare you for the inevitable losses that are going to come. Because the Bible's very honest about losses in life. Ecclesiastes 8.14 says, Sometimes something useless happens on earth. Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. I mean, you've seen that. We've all seen that. We don't always get what we deserve in life. And we can have this myth in the back of our minds that bad things happen to us because we're bad and good things happen to us because of our goodness. But neither one of those are really true. You know, when good things happen to you, that's called grace. When bad things happen to you, that's called life. Because we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world where bad things, things don't always go as planned. And so we need to come to grips with that reality, and we need to learn how to live with the losses of life. And so the goal today, the goal of this series is not to explain all the tragedies of life, not to provide answers and reasons uh, for all the losses you're going to experience. Honestly, there are some things that we are never going to understand until we get to heaven. But I can give you the hope of five things that the Bible says to do to handle the losses of life. Lost job, lost wealth, lost health, the loss of a loved one. So what are they? What are the five things? Number one, the Bible says the first thing that I must do when there's a loss in my life is I must release my grief. The first step on the road to recovery is to uh, release your grief. 
Tragedy always produces strong emotions in us. Anger, fear, depression, worry, guilt. Those are uncomfortable, even scary emotions for us. And often we don't know what to do with them. But when you've experienced a major loss in your life, when you've been given a pink slip or someone in your family sudden taken away or you're served divorce papers, you know, we have enormous feelings that bubble up within us. And if you don't deal with those feelings when they arrive, it will take you far longer to heal. You know, some of you have a grief in your life that you haven't recovered from. You've never dealt with it. You've stuffed it, pushed it down, pretended it's not there. You deny that it exists. And that's why years later, you're still struggling with emotional stress from losses that occurred in your life 20, 30 years ago. Stuff involving your parents or a former partner or a friend who betrayed you. And and there's this myth uh, among Christians, especially during the holidays, that God wants me to walk around with a smile on my face all the time. We get the idea that we should never be sad, we should never grieve, never hurt. God wants me to be happy. Whether it's a parent who has Alzheimer's or a child who gets cancer or a husband or wife who gets laid off from work or somebody stabs you in the back, whatever happens, we're supposed to just walk around with this big smile on our face and act like it's no big deal. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus says it's okay for you to grieve. You know, it's okay for you to, to cry and weep and release those emotions. You know, when a Christian dies, they go to heaven. We don't grieve like the world grieves because we have the hope of heaven. The truth is we're not grieving for the loved one who's gone. We're grieving for ourselves. We're grieving for us because we're going to miss them. Yes, they're in heaven, but we're stuck here. And there's a reason for our grief. So what do you do with those feelings? Well, you don't repress it, you don't stuff it down, you don't just rehearse it over and over in your mind, you release it. You give your grief to God. You just cry out to God. David was so good about this in the Psalms. Psalm 62, 8, he says, pour out your heart to God, for he is our refuge. Just pour it out to God. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you've experienced a season of loss, uh, you've got to release your grief now. If you don't, it will fester, and it will come out later, but it will come out in more harmful, hurtful ways. So you want to release your grief. Second thing, if I'm going to learn to live with my losses, I must receive help from others. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens. New Century Version says, by helping each other with your troubles, you obey the law of Christ. You know, it's a human tendency when we've had a hurt, when we've experienced a loss, it's human nature to pull back into our shell, to put the walls up. You know, I don't want to be around people right now. It's just hurting too much. But that's the exact opposite of what you need to do. You know, when you're going through a time of loss, you need not only the support of other people, but you need the perspective of other people. You know, you're struggling with, with, with your loss. It narrows your focus. And so you need other people to help you see the big picture. You know, we, we need each other uh, greatly in a season of loss. And so I need to release my grief. And then I say, you know what? I'm going to open up my life. This is a time for others to minister to me. I'm going to let them help me. I'm going to let them comfort me. Let them offer suggestions. Let them sit with you. Let them grieve with you. Don't be embarrassed about it. Let it happen. The Bible says we weep with those who weep. 
And that's one of the reasons why God created the church. Because we're a family and we care for each other. You know, that's why I encourage you all the time to become a member and get involved in a small group before the crisis hits. Before the crisis. Join the church. Get connected with a small group. Get involved in a ministry so that you know some people and so that you build those relational bridges that we all have to cross in a time of loss. Because it's coming for all of us. You know, I'll see this every once in a while. A family will come to Rockbrook, and, and maybe they come for months, and they never join. They don't take the membership class. They don't get plugged into a small group. They don't get involved in a ministry. They just walk in, enjoy the services, and walk out. And the truth is they're spectators and observers. They're, they're not participators. They hold the body of Christ at arm's length. And then when they experience a loss, they lose a job, a teen rebels, they get an illness, or their marriage gets rocky, there's a death in the family, suddenly they need help, they need support, they need comfort. But they're not connected with anybody at a deep enough level for people to come to their aid. They've held everybody at arm's length so that when they need a hand or a hug, people are held off too far. They haven't laid the groundwork for the care that they need. Hebrews 12 says, look after each other so that not one of you will fail to find God's best blessings. And that's why membership is so important around here. That's why I hammer on you about getting into a small group. Because you need the body of Christ to make it through your loss. So open yourself up to God. Open yourself up. Make yourself available. Make yourself vulnerable to other people in their time of loss. So that they'll be there for you in your time of loss. So you release your grief you receive help from others. Number three, you must refuse to be bitter. Job, of all people, had reason to be bitter. He'd lost his family, his health, his wealth, all at the same time. In the midst of his grief, he said, some people have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. And what a tragedy that is, to live and die with bitter hearts. You know, when bitterness enters your heart, happiness goes right out. When happiness comes into your heart, bitterness goes out. Because bitterness and happiness can't dwell in the same heart. You know, in every situation, you've got to decide, am I going to be bitter or better? It's a choice that you make. And I've seen people in horrible situations, no mom, no dad, abject poverty, illness, hardship, and yet they maintain an incredibly positive attitude. They just keep praising the Lord. And I've seen people who've had everything given to them, nothing major ever go wrong in their life, and every morning they rise and whine. You know, they just have a negative attitude about stuff. But you are as happy as you choose to be. But you've got to refuse to let bitterness come into your life. Truth is, folks, most of the world would love to have your problems. Oh, Pastor, you haven't seen my house payment. This is just unbearable. Most of the world would love to have a house. You know, they, they'd love to have the problems that you're struggling with. You're struggling with whether your kid's going to get C's or B's or get into the right soccer group. Many, many parents are struggling. Is my child going to starve to death this week? It's a matter of perspective. And bitterness can cause you to get so self-centered that you forget about how much good there is in your life. And bitterness never changes anything. It only makes situations worse. It makes you more miserable. Hebrews 12 says, Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. It causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Bitterness hurts you spiritually. 
And you're going to be hurt by other people. You're going to be hurt intentionally and unintentionally. You're going to hurt other people intentionally and unintentionally. That's just what happens. But bitterness only compounds the hurt and increases the misery. We love to blame other people for our unhappiness. We love to blame other people for our problems. There's a dad and had a little uh, boy, his son Luke, and he was playing a little game with him. And he said, Luke, who made the stars? And Luke was playing along and he said, Luke did. Dad said, no, God made the stars. Uh, Luke, who made the trees? Luke did. No, God made the trees. Who made the moon? Luke did. No, God made the moon. And the next morning, the dad came down to the breakfast table, and Luke is sitting there, and he spilled his milk all over the table. And the dad said, who spilled the milk? Luke said, God did. (laughs) You know, that's just human nature in its most blatant form. If anything good happens in my life, I want to take credit for it. Anything bad happens to me, it's an act of God. You know, you'll read insurance policies, acts of God, or, or things like hurricanes, floods, earthquakes, volcanoes, disasters. That's what the world thinks God does. But an act of God is when a baby's been born. That's a miracle. An act of God is when a marriage gets put back together. An act of God is when a hurt has been healed, when a body's restored, when an addict stays clean and sober. That's an act of God. And we need to refuse to be bitter in the losses of life. How do you do that? How do you hold bitterness at bay? Two two suggestions here. One is accept what cannot be changed. You know, we've got to understand what faith is. You know, faith is not ignoring reality. Faith is not denying the reality, pretending that something bad is good. That's not faith. You know, somebody in your family gets sick, uh, you know, it, it's not a matter of saying, oh, no, that's, that's, that's no problem, they're going to be okay. No, that's, that's not faith. That can be denial. Or you get laid off and you don't have any income. You have no idea where your money's going to come from. And you're, oh, everything's going to be all right. It'll all work out in the end. Often that's not faith. That can be foolishness. No, we need to accept the reality of what's happening. You know, as you grow in your Christian life, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is you begin to realize that most of life is out of your control. The most important things in life are out of your control. And sometimes the only way you can manage an unmanageable situation is through acceptance of it. Acceptance is the first step to peace. Whether you've lost a loved one or, or you've walked away from a fresh grave, all the wishing, hoping, and praying in the world isn't going to bring that person back. The only way to peace is acceptance. The way to hold bitterness at bay is acceptance. Lord, help me to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Acceptance. Accept what I cannot change. Another way to hold bitterness at bay is to look at what's left rather than what's lost. You know, no matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for you. You know, God wants you to be thankful. Be thankful for what you have left. Have you ever seen somebody get so focused on what they've lost that they lose everything that's left? You know, it's a matter of perspective. Your past is past. You can't change it. No worrying about it, resenting it, being bitter about it, rehearsing it over and over. Nothing is going to change your past, but your attitude will determine your future. And you need to choose to focus 
on God's goodness. Focus on what's left with an attitude of gratitude. That's, that's the, the antidote to depression. Gratitude. You know, just, just start making a list of things that, are, that you have left, things that you can be thankful for. Are you still alive? Put that number one. Are you a believer? Put that as number two. Do you have a church family? There's number three. Just start a list of a hundred things that you can be grateful for. And watch the clouds of depression begin to vanish as you focus on what's left. If you're going to learn to live with life losses, number four, you need to remember what's most important. Jesus said life is not measured by how much one owns. Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Don't confuse your possessions with your position in Jesus Christ. Don't confuse what you're living on with what you're living for. There's a big difference. And when you face a loss, you need to clarify your values. You need to realize that the greatest things in life aren't things. You know, people matter more than things. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. You're not going to take anything out with you. You, you never see a U-Haul pulling a hearse. There's a rich Texas oil man and he wanted to be buried in his Cadillac. And so they tricked the thing out to bury him in it. They dug a big hole with a backhoe at the cemetery, and they had a little crane there, and they're lifting up this big, shiny Cadillac and putting it in the ground. And, and uh, one of the bystanders uh, watched that process and turned to his buddy and said, Man, that's living. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. The guy's dead. You know, for real security, you have to build your life on something that cannot be taken from you. You know, can your job be taken from you? Yes. There's no such thing as job security, not even if you own the company. Can you lose your health? Yes, in a heartbeat. Can you lose the person that you're married to? Yes. Can you lose your youthful beauty? Look around. <laughs> you know, I'm just a bundle of baldness, bifocals, and bulges. You know, if you build your security on how you look, you've got a sad day coming. You can't build your life on something that's not going to last. For ultimate security, you must build your life on something that cannot be taken away from you. And there's only one thing that cannot be taken away from you. And that is your relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's the only thing. Jesus says, those who trust in me are in my hands and no man can pull them out. And there will be times in life when, when maybe you want to pull your hand away or there may be times, seasons of loss where you think God's let go. But that is not what's happened. You know, God is like a loving father with a child crossing a busy street and the child may want to let go, but the father holds on even tighter. He loves the child too much. And there will be times when you don't feel like following Christ. There will be times when you think he's let go of you, but that is not true. God is holding on to you. And he may have to jerk you around a little bit to get you back in line, but he's doing it because he loves you. So put your trust in something that can't be taken away from you. Put your trust in Christ. That leads us to number five. You've got to rely on Christ if you're going to make it through life's losses. Paul said in Philippians 4, he says, I have learned. Notice that it is not automatic. It's something we must learn. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens. I can do all things through Christ because he gives me the strength. 
Paul says, doesn't say, I can do all things because I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I, 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 just, I just suck it up and I move forward my own strength. No, no. In the losses of life, your strength is not enough. When you've lost a loved one, your strength is not enough. You need Christ who strengthens me. And the key to crisis control is Christ control. You let Jesus Christ be the Lord of the losses in your life, and you'll make it. Now, how do I rely on Christ when I experience a loss? Real quickly, three things to do. Number one, lean on Christ for stability. The first thing that happens in a disaster, the first need you have is for stability. Because a major crisis always knocks us for a loop. It puts us back on our heels. We lose our bearing. The rug gets pulled out from underneath us. You need stability. And you get that stability by leaning on someone stronger than you. Psalm 125 says, Those who trust in the Lord are as steady as Mount Zion, unmoved by any circumstance. You need to plant yourself on Jesus Christ, the rock of your salvation. You, Lord, give true peace to those who depend on you. Psalm 112 says, Such a person will not be overthrown by evil circumstances. God's constant care of him will make a deep impression on all who see it. He doesn't fear bad news nor live in dread of what may happen, for he is settled in his mind that God will take care of him. Are you settled in your mind that God will take care of you? You've got to lean on Christ for stability. Next, you need to look to Christ for direction. You know, when, when you face a loss, you need guidance. I and mean, you're just reeling. What do I do next? What now? What's the next step? Where do you get that guidance? God wants to help. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know what I am planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to harm you. I will give you hope and a good future. You know, God's plans for you are plans for hope. It's not a bad plan. It's a good plan. It's a plan with a future. And so no matter what you've lost, God has a plan for you. And we just need to come to him and say, God, lead me, guide me, tell me what to do next. Remember, God's plan is greater than your pain. God's plan is greater than your problems. He's a good God who has your best interest at heart. And so look to Christ for direction. Third thing we need to do is look to Christ for salvation. Salvation literally means deliverance, restoration, help, wholeness. And when we experience a loss in life, that's what we need. We need deliverance, restoration, help, wholeness. We need God to pick us up out of the miry clay, set us on the solid rock, help us start on a new path, a new direction. We need him to deliver us With Jesus Christ, no situation is hopeless because God is our protection and our strength. For he always helps in times of trouble. So we will not be afraid even if the earth shakes or the mountains fall into the sea. You know, things can happen in history that just shake the whole world. At the end of World War II, Billy Graham was invited to number 10 Downing Street. He was invited to have a five-minute conversation with Winston Churchill. Ended up being a 45-minute conversation. It went from being a meet-and-greet to a discussion when Churchill asked Billy Graham, he said, do you see any hope for the world? And Billy Graham said, yes, I do. But it's not in a political party or some government program. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And for 45 minutes, he shared with Churchill about the importance of leaning on Christ, looking to Christ for direction and for salvation. And as Billy Graham was leaving, Winston Churchill said, I don't see any other hope for the world than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not only the hope of the world, he's the hope of your world. He's the hope in your situation, your loss, your crisis, your tragedy, your disaster. He will help you. Apostle Paul went through a serious time of trouble. He said this. He said, we were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would never live through it. We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. And he did help us and saved us, and we expect him to do it again and again. Are you living in a season of loss? Lean on Christ for stability. Listen to Christ for direction. And look to Christ for salvation. Let's pray together. Would you just pray in, in the quietness of your own heart? Would you just say, God, God, you know how much I hurt today. You know the losses that I have in my life, and I just release my grief to you. I release my hurt, my bitterness, my fear about the future, my guilt from my past. I just give it all to you. And God, I ask you to help me. Help me to lean on Jesus Christ for stability. Help me to listen to you for direction. What do I do next? God, I look to Christ for deliverance, for salvation. Lord, help me to focus on what is left, not what I've lost. And help me to move forward in your strength and find that hope in that future. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.